This week's member episode is Good Popes and Bad Popes. It was just this morning that we learned the death of Pope Benedict XVI. In my opinion, a wonderful pope, brilliant theologian, and a holy man. So it's important for all Catholics to pray for the pope above all, because as I've said in a past episode, popes have most to answer for because of their authority. So we pray that the Lord receive Benedict to himself and show mercy upon him. It's not without reason that at every Mass we pray for our bishop and the Pope. It's not just because we're like honoring them or something, it's because they need our prayers the most. So keep Pope Benedict in your prayers today. As I said, he's considered one of the most brilliant theologians we've had in recent history. And if you haven't read any of his works because you were made to think that he's obscure and abstract and difficult to understand and pretentious and all that, that the media tried to make you think, you'll find that he's actually a very accessible, very clear writer. You should check out his uh, book called The Spirit of the Liturgy and his uh, set of three, his trilogy, Jesus of Nazareth, which is one of the best reflections on the Gospels you'll read. So this is why the episode is about good popes and bad popes. We've had this unique period of two popes, of course not two reigning popes, but two living popes, Pope Francis and Pope Emeritus Benedict. We've had that for a long time. And so questions of the papacy and the contrast between them theologically, liturgically, personally, etc., has been a topic of conversation for quite a while. So what makes a good pope and what makes a bad pope? It's not just that a pope is either a saint or he's not a saint, although that perhaps is probably the most important indication of a good pope is his personal sanctity. But keep in mind what the pope is for. Why did Christ make Peter the first among the apostles? Why did he give him a special authority? And if you haven't yet listened to my episode, Was Peter Special? Go and listen to that, because that goes into the scriptural and patristic evidence that Christ did institute a special role for Peter and his successors. So what was the Pope for? Why did Christ do this? Well, primarily it was to be his vicar on earth, the sign of the unity of the church on earth, and to protect and defend the truths about Christ that he revealed to us. That's the main role of the Pope as Pope, is to teach and defend the deposit of faith. He's supposed to be that sign of unity. Remember Christ said to Peter, I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So the Pope has a special authority over the other bishops, not to lord it over them, of course, but to strengthen the unity of the church by defending doctrine and promoting unity in that doctrine. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That means, of course, we worship one God, We are unified in the truth of the faith, one faith and one baptism. We're unified in the grace given through the sacraments. So to the extent that the Pope accomplishes this end or fails to accomplish it, he is either a good Pope or a bad Pope. Of course, he's called to holiness to be a saint, just as everyone is. As I said at the beginning, of course, the Pope is called to holiness in an even more serious way because of his role as the sign of unity. His role as the sign of unity in the faith is served best when he is personally a holy man. If he is a holy man, it's much more likely that he will be effective in staying true to the faith and teaching the faith and being a sign of unity and charity. But his main role as Pope is to teach and defend the deposit of faith so that the faithful remain in the true faith. You know, the Pope, like every bishop, has to teach, govern, and sanctify. Teach being the first, because we are only really able to love God when we know God. So we must remain in the truth. He is, of course, also supposed to govern, as any bishop is, to be that sign of unity, and also to manage the 
church's temporal affairs in a way that is best conducive to bringing others to holiness. So we now have a couple ways we can say if a pope is a good or a bad pope, but in different senses. A pope could be a holy man and a good teacher, but a bad administrator. Some say John Paul II was this way, that he was very holy, he taught and defended the faith, but his administrative decisions were poor and led to damage. For example, his choice of various men to become bishops who ended up being very harmful to the church. So would we say John Paul II was a bad pope? I don't think so, because in the most important sense, he was a good pope. He defended the faith. Now, you can make certain criticisms of him liturgically and certain articulations of his theology, but he aimed to defend the faith and to teach it and to evangelize. Pope Benedict, as I said, was brilliant, an excellent teacher. I think on the whole, a good administrator. Of course, there were very public criticisms of certain things regarding the abuse crisis, but I think a lot of those were dishonest attacks on him. But he's a personally holy man, by all accounts, a good teacher, and a pretty good administrator. So, of course, Pope Benedict we'd consider a good pope. So this isn't just some subjective decision or taste. A pope is good to the extent that he fulfills the role intended by Christ. Teach and defend the faith, be a sign of unity, and strive after holiness. So there has to be an element of each of those things there. Because you can have a pope who, say, defends the faith or is orthodox in his teaching and doesn't fall into error, but is personally corrupt and a bad administrator. Think of the worst example, Alexander VI. Didn't teach heresy, you know, I'm sure defended the faith according to proper teaching of the church whenever he did so officially. But would we call him a good pope? Heck no, he's a terrible pope because he was a scandal and he was personally corrupt. So it's not just the role of teacher. It's one who faithfully teaches the deposit of faith, faithfully defends the deposit of faith, and does so in order to bring others to holiness and strives after holiness himself. That's the best way to be a sign of Christ, a vicar of Christ on earth, and to effect unity, is to be a holy and faithful teacher. I don't know anything about Pope Francis's personal holiness or anything like that, but on the point of both being a sign of unity and being a clear teacher and defender of the faith, he's not a very good pope. Again, not saying anything about his personal holiness or anything like that, but he's very divisive in what he says. He's very unclear and confusing and sometimes downright seemingly opposed to certain church teachings in what he says. He seems very politically motivated, very critical of certain elements of the church that really don't deserve the amount or level of criticism or distaste that he seems to express towards them. So I don't shy away from saying that Pope Francis is a bad pope. I'm not saying he's a bad man. He may be, he may not be. But he is a bad pope. He is not a sign of unity, and he doesn't clearly teach and defend the faith. Some might even say that currently, as he's promoting this synod on synodality, that he's causing more confusion than we've seen ever. People who reject much of the church's doctrine and moral teaching can point to Pope Francis and seemingly have an ally. Faithful and orthodox Catholics can also point to certain things he says and say, yeah, he, he, he teaches the faith or upholds the faith. It's very confusing, and this is the very contrary of what the role of the Pope is, to be a sign of unity and a teacher and defender of the faith, to clearly articulate to the faithful where the bounds of true belief are. It's very clear that we don't have that with Pope Francis. And some people might say, well, you can't criticize the Pope or say he's a bad Pope because the Holy Spirit chose him. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't choose the Pope. A bunch of cardinals choose the Pope. And the cardinals are men, sinful fallen men like the rest of us. Some have worldly ambitions. Some have political motivations. They're the ones that choose the Pope. 
Now, is there someone that the Holy Spirit is moving the cardinals to choose as the proper pope for that time in history? Yes, I think so. But do the cardinals infallibly listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Definitely not. We have had plenty of bad popes throughout history. We can't attribute that choice to the Holy Spirit. So what do we do in a situation where we have a bad pope in the sense of not a good teacher of the faith, not a good sign of unity? Well, we can do what most Catholics have done throughout history. Before every word and interview and comment by the Pope was made public immediately, which only happened in recent decades, most Catholics just didn't know what the Pope said day to day, didn't really care what the Pope said day to day. Some of them may not have even known who the Pope was, save for the name mentioned in the canon of the Mass. So what do we do in a situation like this? We do what they did. We say, well, the Pope's teaching is not conducive to a clearer understanding of the faith, so I won't listen to it. Because the Pope can't teach novelty. If he's not articulating the faith clearly, then you don't need to listen. Not everything the Pope says needs to be listened to. In fact, it's probably healthier that you don't cling to every word or even hear every word that the Pope utters every day. Now, if the Pope were to summon his full authority as the Vicar of Christ on Earth and the Supreme Shepherd and Teacher of the Faithful and declare something a dogma, then yeah, you we're bound to abide by that. We believe in the promise that Christ made that he'd send the Holy Spirit to guide the church into all truth. And in those instances, which are very rare, where the Pope summons his full authority to do that, we believe that he will be preserved from error. So those are the times when you should listen to him. If you find a particular Pope's articulation of the faith faithful and helpful and clarifying, then yeah, listen. But otherwise, you don't really need to care that much what the Pope says or decisions he makes. So we ignore most of what the Pope says, just like most Catholics throughout all of history. We listen to when he teaches authoritatively. We pray for him as we do in every Mass because every Pope is a sinner, just like every one of us is a sinner. But with the added weight of his role, he needs even more help because he's more the target of the devil and because of his authority is more likely to be damned than the rest of us. And if we happen to have a holy Pope at a certain point in history, then yes, imitate the Pope. And be a very good Pope who not only teaches clearly, but also in his life exhibits true holiness. And we've had a number of those in recent history. So I guess the takeaway is don't be troubled whenever we have a Pope that's not particularly good. We should rejoice when we have holy, saintly, good Popes. But whether it's a good Pope or a bad Pope, you don't need to listen to everything they say. You don't need to be troubled by something they say. You don't need to like them personally. Some of them might just rub you the wrong way. That's totally fine. The Pope is not a king of the church. The Pope is supposed to be the servant of the servants of God and to be a teacher and defender of the faith. So we pray for both the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict XVI and we pray for the holiness of our current Pope just as we ought to pray for the holiness of every Pope that he be protected and defended from the influence of the world and might teach true doctrine and promote true worship.